0: Welcome into Inside the Pile on the podcast for Wednesday, February 24th. Chuck Zada and Mark Schofield here as your hosts and continuing with our draft coverage 2 months until the NFL draft at this point and we are pretty much in full swing right now. With that in mind, we do have a guest uh, who is joining us as well. Emery Hunt is going to be lending his expertise to us for about 15 or 20 minutes. Before I introduce Emery, I do want to, as always, introduce my co-host, Mark. And uh, Mark, I trust everything uh, going pretty well in terms of your draft study so far. I'm
1: slogging through it, man, you know. I just focus on the QBs, so it's a little easier. Not like Emery, who does it all, man. I, my hat's off to those guys that can go through each position. That's, that's yeoman's work. Emery is pretty much a one-man
0: wrecking crew, and I'd like to welcome, in, welcome him in now. Emery, I appreciate you joining us. Well,
2: I appreciate you guys having me on.
0: Absolutely, and Emory, I guess, uh, you know, just to kind of get caught up on what you're doing right now, what's been uh, kind of your process uh, since the college football season ended? What have you really been focusing on?
2: Well, what we do here is a little bit unique because we since we cover everything from NFL all the way down to women's tackle football, uh, me personally, I get started on the draft a little bit later. This year is a little bit more unique because I've gotten started even later because of the fact I was doing, you know, the color commentary stuff during the the season and and doing, uh, you know, out and about at the CFL arena and all that stuff like that. So I'm really getting caught up, and I just finished the receivers and now I'm working my way through tight ends before going to offensive line. So just trying to backlog stuff that I've usually done over the summer, but this summer was a little bit unique, so just trying to get caught up that way.
1: Emory, you've recently started rolling out your scouting profiles by-position group. You rolled out quarterbacks first, then you're going through running backs now, and you kind of burned up the Twitter timeline a little bit. Some of our friends up to the north weren't happy with your quarterback ratings, but I want to start with your number one guy, and that's Cardale Jones. Um, You had a great little report on him, that video that you did. What do you see in Cardale that thinks he's going to translate well to the next level?
2: Well, the first thing is that you can't ignore production. So when you got guys that are are able to produce at a high level, uh, let's say from a wins perspective, and I know there's the whole inner debate of wins don't matter, but if that was the case, then no one goes out and try to find a quarterback of a losing football team and, and try to bring them into the NFL. You want winners. You want guys that have been a part of winning programs. And when you look at Cardell Jones, you couldn't have asked a dude to put together three great games, greater games, in the most pressure-packed situation. You're a second-string quarterback. You're coming off the bench. This is a very good football team, and you got to win three games to win a national championship. So you have to win a Big Ten championship. You have to win a playoff game versus probably one of the best teams of the last decade in Alabama, and you have to win the championship game versus one of those teams in Oregon. That's a very tough matchup for anyone on the schedule, especially given the shorter notice. So, to go in, that, in those three games and perform well and really open up that offense. And if you look at it, he was able to have Ezekiel Elliott have more success because now the vertical passing game is implemented. And so that opens things up for the running backs. And just to be able to perform that particular, that, that high of a level was, was very impressive to me. Then you fast forward to this year, you can make a case and say he got Tom Herman a job at Houston. You know, but how well he performed in those three games and once Herman left, now the offense is going back to what we've seen at Bowling Green, at uh, Utah, at Florida, with more of a mobile quarterback, and that's not necessarily Cardell Jones' game. And, they, and his, uh, that offense is tailor-made totally for a guy like J.T. Barrett, which is why he was, quote-unquote, perceived to have a lot of success. So taking all that into account and looking at Cordell Jones and just analyzing him from just from a uh, trade's perspective, you see a lot of things that translate to the NFL, which is why he graded out as my number one guy.
0: Emery, obviously uh, a lot of people probably familiar with Cardale just from uh, the program that he played in. guy that most people probably don't know of is your number two quarterback on the list, and that's Dalen Williams. Now, I'm a Dartmouth guy, so I've watched him since he was a freshman, and obviously you talk about the progression that he was able to make with that team, taking that Dartmouth team to its first Ivy League title in 19 years, clearly a kid who was able to go and make his team into a winner there. What really impressed you about this kid, and what should people know about him that they might not have seen just because he hasn't had the publicity?
2: Well, one thing that stands out to us is, is, is his accuracy, and, and that's everything, accuracy and placement. Um, and he has a, a really good arm, so he can really stress the field. Once, you, once you're able to do all those things, um, then you toss in the fact that he has good situational awareness he protects the football, and he's a mobile guy as well, it gives you a great picture of a quarterback. And it's unfortunate. Well, it's fortunate for, for us, we got the chance to see him play quarterback because had he taken that scholarship offer to Rice or to Kansas State, we'd be talking about Dalen Williams, the safety, and not Dalen Williams, a quarterback. And when you saw him as a sophomore, he, he just I, was, I remember scouting uh, Jeff Matthews, who was a tremendous quarterback in the Ivy League for Cornell, and I was high on Jeff Matthews. And I, I watched the dark of the game, I want to say in 2013. And I'm thinking, like, yo, this guy is pretty good. This dart with the quarterback has a little something. You know, he was just a sophomore. Then last year, he really took a, a leap forward in his game. And then this past season, he was just tremendous. So he's been on the radar for me since 2013. And you saw a guy constantly get better each and every year.
1: One of the things that stands out about Williams, and you highlighted this in your scouting report, is the deep ball. You called him one of the best deep ball throwers in college football. Um, Do you think that his ability to push the ball vertically and his experience in the offense that Dartmouth ran, which was somewhat of a complex offense, bodes well for a team taking a chance on him?
2: Well, absolutely, because you look at the NFL and how – uh, rare those opportunities are to go deep down the field, and you see often each and every week teams miss on deep balls. That's what makes Drew Brees an outstanding quarterback. He's able to connect on those deep balls. That's what makes Ben Roethlisberger a very good quarterback able to connect on those deep balls. And that's that's the thing. You can, yes, you can have some success working the offense, moving the football down the field, let's say like an Alex Smith, and you can be very good at it. But at some point in time in a game, you're gonna have to take that shot and make that shot that the defense gives you deeper down the field and only a few quarterbacks, Aaron Rodgers, Ailas hit that throw. Russell Wilson can hit that throw. Um, and when you get a guy that can force you to force your state to stay back and not cheat up and then drive down on angles on the short to intermediate game, it makes your offense that much more productive.
1: Another guy that you're high on and a guy that I think is kind of flying under the radar right now is Tavon Boykin, the TCU quarterback, another guy that's experienced throwing the football, but there's this talk now of maybe he should move back to wide receiver. Where do you think he fits in best in the NFL, as a quarterback or as a wide receiver?
2: I've only seen him play quarterback at a high level the last two seasons, so you know my answer is going to be yeah, quarterback. Yeah. See, what's interesting is that um, in the beginning of the season, when I, I did a uh, a video called Under the Scope, where we looked at Trayvon Boykin as an example. It was sort of light rolling out the football game plan scouting uh, element of, of our website and company, and we took a look at Boykin's game, and we was like, okay, here are some things he has to work on. And at that point, you know, he, he was coming off his first year as a quarterback and had a very successful year for TCU throwing the football. And I said this, he was at the same point that Ryan Tannehill was at, at Texas A&M making that move from receiver to quarterback. After year one, he had a little bit more statistical success than Tannehill, and we wanted to see how well he was going to grow in, you know, with the second full season. And he really exceeded my expectations as a passer, both from a um, trait standpoint, from a statistical standpoint. He was able to do a lot of things very well. He took an even bigger jump, more so than what we saw Tannehill do from year one to year two at A&M. Tannehill kind of stayed the same and Boykin really grew his game to where he was a Heisman candidate at some point in time during the season, a good part of the season. So you saw him make the the progression. You saw him make the jump. Unfortunately, he had a knucklehead mistake that kept him out of uh, a big stage in a bowl game versus Oregon, uh, which would have been great. So that kind of soured some people that were looking for an excuse to really knock him off the board. But he has improved as a quarterback, and I think that shows you, and mostly I feel as though guys, when they leave college, You are what you are as a football player. You can't create football players. You can't make somebody something they're not. But when you have guys that are in a unique situation like a Tannehill or a Boykin, you see upside. And whether or not they're able to, you know, realize that upside is up to their situation and, you know, wherever they go. So I do think Boykin has that unique upside from a college prospect coming out, when most most guys don't.
0: Now, Emery, I've uh, you know I, I wear a number of different hats here at Inside the Pylon. One of them that I'm going to wear right now is mediator, and the reason for that is that Mark Schofield, probably the biggest member of the Carson Wentz fan club here, and I see you coming in with Carson as your number twelve quarterback here. Talk to me about the case for having Carson that low with all the buzz that's been building recently.
2: Well, here's the thing: I do I do a weekly radio show that. Arizona uh, CBS sports radio network and um, a couple of radio stations out there in Missoula Montana and Fargo North Dakota and and so I it's called the FCS West so I covered the FCS exclusively during college football season um, I've also scouted some games out there in Fargo I went actually I went to the North Dakota State Montana game where uh, the, the defensive end stood out to me the most. The um, guy that drafted, got drafted by the Chargers, uh, forgot his name. But out there, um, so I've seen Brock Jensen up up close and, and personal, um, and I've seen him over the last, let's say, Brock Jensen over the last two years. And you saw him as a senior take huge steps away. I think he threw 34 touchdowns, seven interceptions. You're like, wow, this guy was really good. And That's when they won that third championship. And so now in comes Carson Wentz, and you're saying, okay, you expect North Dakota State to take a step back because they're breaking in a new quarterback. And they kind of stayed the course. They leaned a little bit more on the ground again with Crockett at the time. Their offensive line was outstanding. And they were able to make some things happen with that dominant defense that they had uh, with the defense. I can't remember his name, but his name is going to to come to me at some point. But um, being able to, to get to the point, and, and uh, win a championship, but Wentz didn't really do much. I thought their their passing game was, was like Brock Jensen's sophomore and junior season where they kind of just operate off play action. You take your one or two shots deep down the field, you make a couple of throws a game, and you end up winning the game because you're playing Alabama-style football where people don't want to, you know, match physicality with you up front. That's how they win games. Now, you fast forward to this year, saw him versus – I um, saw him on tape, obviously, and saw him down the senior bowl, but you saw a guy in Carson Wentz that didn't really have that wow factor, and when you look at what he he did in comparison to Brock Jensen, who I think should be in the NFL, um, I think he's now up north in Canada, but I didn't see that, that wow aspect of uh, Wentz's game. You know, I, I see a guy that's an athlete, I see a guy that can make some throws, but as you move up in levels, the, the the reaction time is going to be quicker, and I think a lot of times his passes don't get to where they need to be. Let's say from a four pro, pro level, and you saw that down at the Senior Bowl where he's facing guys that can break on the ball faster, so the reaction time was quicker, and they were able to be in on a lot of plays where some going to say the, the receiver dropped it, but that was a ball that should have been thrown maybe a half a second earlier to where it, it shouldn't have been questioned, um, and I just don't think he has that. That reaction time. I don't think he has the accuracy on the placement, and I don't think his deep ball is what everybody's making it out to be, to, to where he can be, you know, considered one of those elite quarterbacks. I think he's a streaky player, um, with good athleticism that can operate well off flash and things like that. But everything has to be, I think, ideal for him, which is why I compare him to Matt Campbell. So I just don't see a elite prospect. I see a guy that you can win with, but. You can't make him the focal point of your offense. You can't make it about Carson Wentz. You have to make it about the running game, the play-action passing game, the uh, protection up front before you go to, okay, let's put in Carson Wentz's hands. I don't see him as that guy.
1: Kyle Emanuel that's the defensive end Emory I think that's
2: there, the there you go
1: <laughs> I had to look that up for you um, with respect to Carson before we move to running backs do you think it's basically a mental processing issue from where you evaluate him or do you think it's a, an arm strength issue or do you think it's kind of a combination of things where he's just not in your eyes able to make the lead the way you'd expect him to or hope he would
2: but it's it's almost like you have that guy, I don't know if you guys get this, if you're watching basketball, if you're basketball fans, but um, when you see a jump shooter pass up open shots and you or just okay. a guy that passed up open shots, you're in the NBA, I expect you to hit hit a shot, it open or not. You know, so especially if you're open, take the dog on shot and shoot it. And so when you see Carson Wentz, okay, if the first read is not there, if the second read is not there, then you got to do something, to make something happen. But the first read is there. If you see him about to break open, you got to throw it. And I think a lot of times he's going to wait till he sees an open guy before he throws it. You see guys struggle with that all the time. Jason Campbell was the one that had to wait until the guy was open before he was able to throw it. You see a guy like EJ Manuel struggle with that, waiting for a guy to be open before he throws the football. To me, when you wait for someone to be open, you're covered. You know, in the NFL, it's, it's different. Those windows are smaller so your anticipatory skills have to be where they need to be. And I just don't see that from Wentz. I see him as, a, as a, a good player, but not an elite player. And it's a shame because it's not Wentz's fault that everyone else around him is pushing him up to be this elite talent. I mean, credit, credit for him because he's going to get paid. But at the end of the day, you know, you, they're going to put that undue uh, pressure and expectation on him to be something he's not. You see it going on right now in Miami with Tannehill. He's not that guy that they've tried to make him out to be constant. I mean how many coaches he's gotten fired, how many good players they're gonna go through, and they're constantly blaming the offensive line when they haven't looked at the common denominator, which is Tannehill.
1: Emory now let's turn we got a you know a few minutes left here. You just released your running back rankings and your running back number one Ezekiel Elliott. What do you see in Ezekiel's game that makes you confident that he's the best running back on the board?
2: It's rare that you watch a guy's film and you don't see any weaknesses. I mean, I had to struggle to try to find a knock in his game uh, because I don't see anything that he doesn't do well. He can run inside. He can block both pass pro and also lead block if you want to on running plays. Um, He's a good downfield receiver. He's not just one of those swing, flare, flat screen type running backs that can catch you know, meets expectations in that area, you can utilize him in your downfield passing game. He has soft hands. He's he's able to make guys miss. If you want to start him out as a returner, he can do that, both kick and punt. Uh, There's nothing this guy can't do, and he also has that breakaway speed. So, uh, again, I think I I said the one area of improvement where you can nitpick and say some things that maybe sometimes he tends to get a little bit too low going in the hole, which could knock him off balance, and he, you know, loses. Or, either gains maybe one or two yards where you probably want him to make a miss, make a man miss, or be a little bit higher and break the tackle. But there's nothing really you can knock about his game. It's rare you see a running back at that matter for that matter, um, have minimal flaws in, in what they bring to the table.
0: When we talk about uh, other running backs in this year's class, probably one of the most talked about guys has been Derrick Henry. Obviously, we've seen a number of different opinions that have come out on him. Where do you stand?
2: I think he's like a second, third round guy. It was interesting was that when you look at Henry um, and people want to compare him to Brandon Jacobs, they don't understand that Jacobs had way better suddenness. You know, he had a, a great short area burst. That Henry doesn't have. Henry is more of a, a build-up speed guy. Henry compares to me more favorably than Chris, Chris Brown. Um, and I think Henry, you look at Henry last year and in 2013, he looks like a, a, a much different back. He looks like a quicker back. He looks like he has a little bit more pop in his step. He even looks lighter. Now, fast forward to this season, as the full sole ball carrier, and normally Satan would do a great job in splitting reps between his backs, this year, Henry kept the entire load, and he just looked a little sluggish at times. And so I think, to me, he's better suited to be a complimentary guy. And we'll go back to seeing that, Henry, that everyone was going, wow, this guy is really getting a big back with some speed and some quickness, a little bit of agility going inside or outside. And this past year, I think even though he won the highest trophy, which is tough to argue against, you didn't see that same type of back. So I think, you know, there's – Two different backs. If you want the guy that's going to carry the football 30 times a game, 25, 30 times a game, then you're going to get the Henry you saw this past season. If you want a guy that's going to be an additional piece of your offense, maybe a, a number two back that's going to share some carries, then you're going to see the Henry we saw in 2013
0: and 14. Emory got uh, just about a minute left here. I know uh, in particular uh, you've put out a couple different books at this point. What's the best way for any of our listeners to go about picking those up?
2: Well, they can just go on our website at com slash books. They're fi- they're- they're They'll find our um, Stiff Army Football Myths book, which is an outstanding book where we tackle 50 of football's greatest fairy tales, we like to call it, and the two latest book uh, releases, Football Love Story and What Did Football Teach Me, where we talk to over 100 current and former players, coaches, scouts, analysts, uh, from the NFL down to high school and women's tackle football on what they love about the game, what the game taught them, and what life lessons they were able to grab from the from uh, the game of football?
0: You got anything? Uh, got anything new that you're working on that maybe we can look for later this year at some point, early next year, maybe?
2: We got a series of books that we have coming out, but I'm not at liberty to say what we have coming out <laughs> right at this oh moment. Boy. But we do have some good stuff coming down the pike that uh, we feel is a, is a need out there, and we're also working on some good videos as well. Um, that we're all, we're going to continue to roll out our draft videos and some other draft content but we do have a, a series of books coming out down the pike you may look at those i want to say maybe probably <laughs> around the summertime we'll start kicking those off
0: you just never sleep do you
2: you don't have to man i'll sleep when i'm dead you know <laughs>
0: there you go that's that's the way to go about emory appreciate you joining us tonight all right
2: i appreciate you guys man thanks for having me on
0: all right take it easy emory we'll talk to you soon thanks emory Emory Hunt from Football Game Plan. As he said, uh, if you are interested in checking them out, you can always go to footballgameplan.com. You can also follow Emory on Twitter. Uh, great Twitter follow. His website has some really good content there in a number of different formats, Mark, as well, depending
1: on what you want to see. Yeah, I mean, they've got articles. They've got a lot of videos. They do a a lot of great stuff in the video format, scout and breakdowns, game previews, team previews. And, you know, definitely I'd recommend the two books. I've got them. Um, need to dig into them some more once we get done with draft season, but looking forward to digging through those as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So let's uh, dig into a little bit more here. Wh- what do you think, Mark? I mean, we did a lot of quarterback talk there. Do we want to do kickers first or quarterbacks? What do you think?
1: <laughs> Your show, man. Your call.
0: Oof, my show. alright I'll let's let's do a little kickers just to break things up, and then we'll go back to quarterbacks at the Sounds end. does that man. sound? All Sounds right. Good to me. Plus, I'm really just pushing the quarterbacks on so that people have to listen all the way through to get to the quarterbacks. That's what we call kind of the big market tease in Is a it way. Big market
1: tease. Yeah, it's, it's you're the marketing guy. You
0: got to wait till the end. So let's do the kickers first. So everyone has to listen to this okay, uh, in we order got? to get to the end. I'm going to talk to you about a name that you probably have never heard before. Okay. Okay? I'm going like to talk, talk to you about Anthony Pistelli. Anthony Pistelli. Anthony Pistelli, okay? Anthony Pistelli is a kicker that just graduated from Samford University. Not Stanford University, Samford University. Okay. Down in Florida, right? Samford out of the Southern Conference, okay? Uh, Pistelli is actually a transfer from Valdosta State down in Georgia, and uh, he was doing a postgraduate year at uh, Samford, and... Really, this was kind of a Twitter find for me in that it was, uh, you know, brought to my attention last week, actually, uh, by someone on Twitter. Austin Atkinson actually pointed me in his direction, and I'm very thankful that he did because I probably wouldn't have known about him otherwise. Uh, but when you take a look at Pistelli, what attracted me first was the fact that this season on kicks from 40 to, on kicks from 40 to 49 yards, 8 for 8. Okay, so, so, you know, immediately I say, okay, with that kind of production, I want to take a look at the guy and see what he actually has to offer. And so I started digging through and uh, Austin actually, I don't know if he put it together or if uh, someone else uh, put together the videos. I think it was him managed to grab me all of his footage uh, from this year, both field goals, extra points, as well as kickoffs. So I had pretty much every single kick that he took over his senior season uh, to look through, or rather his postgraduate season uh, to look through. What I saw impressed me more than I thought it would to be honest and when when I was going through you know I kind of try to go in with with no real expectations but I saw a very clean very short approach there's not a lot of wasted motion it's not a guy who takes you know a huge wind up in order to get his power it's not a guy who uh you know is is out of control and just swinging for the fences it is a very measured very very easy approach to the ball it's 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 almost effortless in the way he approaches the ball, and he gets really good power and really good pop on his kicks with some good height as well. He's got great tempo to his approach. It's, everything is in a nice rhythm there, and you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very clean look. The one thing that I do have some questions about is playing at that level. You don't get a sense for how his height necessarily matches up against top-tier athletes. OK, just because, you know, the, the guys that you'll get on the defensive line at that level aren't quite to where they would be uh, at the FBS level. It's look, it's it's FCS, so it's close, but it still isn't quite the same. But I came away very impressed. And I'll tell you, this is a kid who I think when you look at the total package here, I looked at what he was doing on kickoffs. One little flaw that he has there is hang time on kickoffs is a little below where you'd like to see. His hang on his kicks usually somewhere in the three seven to three eight range, I'd like to see that a little bit closer to four to four1 in an ideal situation. but you know that's something that you can deal with you know as a 22 year old kid coming out of college, but he's someone might not necessarily end up being drafted this year, but if I'm an NFL team, I look to bring him in just as an undrafted free agent and see how he does on the stage at camp and whether or not uh, he's able to compete at that level because everything I saw looked good. Now, I do have to preface that by saying didn't see a whole lot in terms of misses, so didn't have a lot to evaluate in terms of mental strength there. But from what I saw from a physical perspective, really, really liked what I saw. Just need to see a little bit more of a track record just because any kicker can get hot for one year. That's something that you always do have to uh, keep in the back of your mind as well.
1: Now, from a production standpoint, you mentioned the accuracy, at least from that 40 to 49 range. That's better than a lot of guys that that got invited to the Combine, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, when you talk about guys who uh, got invited to the Combine here, uh, the big question that I had uh, when I was digging through the kickers that were invited there was obviously, I think, the biggest shock to me was that Ross Martin, the Duke kicker, didn't get an invite despite his, I think, outstanding performance Uh, Down at the Senior Bowl. What surprised me was John Lunsford, who's the kicker from Liberty. Okay. Uh, Lunsford, on 40 to 49 yard kicks, made just eight of 20 during his career. Okay. Mm. So you're talking 40% there. And this is a kicker in Lunsford that only made 60.8% of his kicks over his career as a whole. So. I wonder just what exactly the attraction is there. I see it on one level where Lunsford did have 12 field goals of 50 yards or more, but I look at this and I say, okay, you've got Lunsford from Liberty who really struggled from 40 to 49 yards, and then here you've got Pistelli who was just lights out there, smaller track record, and maybe that's why you know he just didn't have the uh, the notoriety to to kind of get uh, on people's radar. But he's a guy that, look, I would have rather had him in, in – in Lunsford's place and obviously look I would have put Martin ahead of both of them uh but that's kind of a different story there but when I look at Pistelli he's a guy that I say look if I'm an NFL team I take a look at him as a late round selection you know if, if I'm sitting there uh round seven or as an undrafted free agent you know he's a guy that I'd probably take a chance I'm probably thinking at it now Probably not as a seventh round selection. I don't know if you necessarily go and and take and use that pick with a guy with this type of track record that it's that short. But I certainly look to bring him in as an undrafted free agent, as competition, just because I think he has what it takes from a physical perspective.
1: Getting to that though, the hang time issue—is that something that he can work on and improve as he develops, as he maybe adds some strength, put some muscles to the leg, or is that something that's always going to be at you know that you know three seven three eight range?
0: No, I, I don't even think it's necessarily a uh, a muscle issue in muscling up. It's uh, when I looked at his kickoffs, he was sending them five seven yards deep. So the the leg strength isn't the problem. He just needs to get a little bit of a different trajectory on his kicks. I think that that's something that, you know, you talk about golfers changing their swing or you talk about, uh, you know, a hitter changing their stance in the batter's box. It's that type of thing. It's not going to happen overnight, but you look at it as something that maybe over uh, a one or two year period, he can absolutely build into that. And in terms of, you know, how critical of a flaw is that, you know, if if I were, you know, on a scale from one to 10, how and is, is it that he address it? I'd say it's probably like a four you know, it's, it, it's not something okay. that, that stands out where I say immediate red flag. It's something where I say, look, if everything else is clicking, let's work on this, but we'll still bring you in for a look. So gotcha. that's, that's kind of my perspective there. Um, let's do a little bit of glossary here.
1: Glossary talk.
0: It's, uh, we haven't done any glossary talk in what, probably a week or so? Yeah, something like that. We're yeah. still
1: rolling the stuff out every day,
0: though still rolling it out every day but let's yeah. uh let's talk a little bit about one that we put out this week. Uh, pretty common uh, route that you see in pretty much just about every offense at some point. That's the uh, the swing route and pretty simple to explain really.
1: Yeah, it's a it's usually a checkdown route. It's a route run you know 9 times out of 10 by a running back out of the backfield. Sometimes you might see a team like motion a wide receiver into the backfield and then you know run run back on the Excuse me, the wide receiver on a swing route. Basically, the player, running back, wide receiver, you know, kind of runs parallel to the line of scrimmage, basically, and then bends it forward back towards the line of scrimmage, almost like, you know, like a banana almost. Um, Typically, a check down route where it's one of the last progression reads that a quarterback will have on a given play, but you see it used a lot more in the sort of one read designed plays where an offense tries to set up either a swing screen to the one side of the field or the other, or they'll just basically flare the running back out on this swing route, have a guy blocking for him. Basically, it's a quick, you know, get the snap and throw it to the outside decision for the quarterback. It's kind of an extension of the running game, but a swing route is basically just Ball is snapped, flare towards the sideline, Carl Upfield bent towards the line of scrimmage, and look for the football.
0: And it seems to me that you see those design swing plays more in the college game than the NFL. Would you say that's accurate?
1: Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I mean, if you look at a lot of, you know, spread teams, teams that— um, You know, they throw the ball a lot, maybe even, you know, air raid or bear raid type teams such as Cal with Jared Goff. um, They'll use it as an extension of the running game. Basically, they'll be throwing the ball all over the place, but to get the running backs involved to sort of just execute these long handoffs, this is the route they typically use to do that.
0: As a, uh, as a combination of quarterback and running back, is there anything that you typically try to do in order to mitigate the potential for a backwards pass and, and a ruled fumble in this case?
1: Well, that's why bending forward towards the line of scrimmage is so important because if you stay parallel from the... like, Let's say the quarterback starts in the shotgun and you're the running back and you're next to him and you run the swing route, but don't start bending it forward. You just stay parallel. If that quarterback hasn't dropped at all or if he started to climb the pocket and then throws it to you, you've got a backwards pass. I mean, think back to the AFC Championship game and that yep. sort of crazy play where everybody kind of stopped for a minute and Patriots player picks up the ball, recovers the fumble, tries to run it back. They Obviously, they ruled that it was a fumble, and Patriots took the ball at that point. But you've got to make sure that as the running back, as the player running this route, you start to bend that forward. And for the quarterback, this, it looks like it's an easy throw when you see it. But it's actually a bit tricky to execute because you've got to put some touch on this and lead the receiver up towards the line of scrimmage so that they get that sort of forward momentum going. But you don't want to lead them too much. You don't want to lead them into traffic, into coverage, into defenders. You know, at the line of scrimmage that might be waiting for them.
0: Yeah. So it's it's kind of trying to balance that uh, yeah. just to make sure that you end up in the right place there. Let's uh, let's go back to quarterbacks now. I did oh, the, here we go. I did the big market tease earlier. This you did. Is, this is where we pay off with all the good feelings and all the joy and everything, especially at the end of the show, just to make everyone remember just how great it actually was. Let's talk a little bit about Vad Lee.
1: Vad Lee, Um, James Madison quarterback um, by way of Georgia Tech, was recruited there to sort of run that Paul Johnson triple offense scheme, but then... Transferred to James Madison University, FCS, and the CAA. Um, very interesting prospect at the quarterback position. I got a chance to sit down with Matt Waldman, FOP, friend of Pylon. Uh, Matt and I on Sunday night did one of his RSP film rooms on Vadley, took a look at, at JMU's game against SMU down in Texas. And I think Matt and I agreed that Vadley is a great prospect at the quarterback position. He's not a top guy in this class by any means, but Matt and I both said that look, you know, if we were in a war room, you know, on day 3 of the draft and it's round 7, it's round 6 and our pick comes up and, you know, we feel like I would bet I would definitely ban the table for this kid and I think there's talent and traits there that I can work with at the quarterback position.
0: If you have to uh give a listener who's never seen Lee before, uh, a list of his top three things that he does well. What are they?
1: Um, I mean, there's a number that he does well. I mean, given, you know, his background and his experience in sort of the triple option offense, I mean, as a ball carrier, he has tremendous vision, tremendous strength, tremendous change of direction. But as a quarterback, he is aggressive in the passing game he has a great understanding of pass concepts of route concepts of defensive coverage schemes i mean there was a play that matt and i went through when matt actually got a chance to talk to vat about the play we were talking about and he made a split second read on the fly that this offense incorporates into their o- offensive scheme where the receiver and running back can adjust a route on the fly based on what they see and he did that with a defender in its f- in his face a split second decision that's process and speed that we've talked about before that you know when you try to make the leap from FCS to FBS or FCS to the NFL, you need to be able to process information very quickly, and Lee does that extremely well. I think he's got the arm to play in the NFL. I mean, are there flaws to his game? Of course, every quarterback has them. There's some mechanical issues, there's some accuracy, inconsistencies, but I think he is a quarterback, and Matt and I talked at length about, you know, people see the way he runs with the football might think, oh, let's take him and make him a running back. Well, no, he is a quarterback that can run the football. He's not a running back playing quarterback, and there's a big difference
0: and in particular you mentioned uh looking at you know a couple mechanical issues and a little bit of accuracy from time to time as being the biggest uh things that are out there are there any particular routes that th- that those issues show up on
1: no there're no particular routes it's just sometimes when there's what he can't get the feet set because of you know pressure in the pocket or you know something off the edge or if there's if he's going to move to extend the plays and the feet aren't set the throws might sail a little, little bit it's not on a, a specific route but these are things that are fixable these are it's not like a mechanics issue in the in the form of the Tim Tebow type thrown delivery he's a, he has a nice compact throw in motion it's just sometimes when the feet aren't quite set or that left hip comes open for whatever reason throws tend to sail but that's something that again seeing his film if I'm Put my quarterback coaching hat on. I see that and say, look, I can work with, him. I can make this work. I can take him and even next year, put together a package of plays and change of pace type stuff to use on Sundays. I mean, I think he's that talented of a player that I wouldn't hesitate putting that together, or at least taking it to the head coach and say, look, we can do something here. Probably get shot down, but look, we can do that. So again, not a guy that I think is going to be the top of any boards. I mean, we just had Emery on. I think Emery had him around QB 10. That's probably in the range where well, I'll have him, but he's a guy that has earned the shot to show that he can play quarterback in the NFL.
0: Any particular teams that you think he may be a best fit on if you're sitting there with, you know, a fifth, sixth, seventh round pick?
1: I mean, when I was, when Matt and I were doing this, I mentioned Pittsburgh. That's a team that obviously they have Ben Roethlisberger, they have Landry Jones, who filled in eh, okay at times, but I, I think they're probably still going to roll with him at backup for now so then you know if you have a guy that you can come in be qb3 sort of run some stuff on the practice squad and develop for a year or two that might be a good fit i mean if your team like say if you're dallas and you're looking to get backup slash quarterback of the future he's not going to be the first quarterback you're going to take Yep. but if you're like dallas and you want to double dip and say draft a guy like wentz you know, early, it's maybe be the quarterback of the future and then double dip like the Redskins did a few years back and get a second guy in this class. Maybe he might be that guy. Okay.
0: Okay. I could see that. So he, he's, in, and it is going to have to be somewhat scheme dependent with him at first, it sounds like, with the p- potential for him to then grow into that role as he goes.
1: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about his ability to transition from scheme to scheme is, it's not as much of a projection as it is for other quarterbacks because he already did that. Yep. He went from Georgia Tech's wide, you know, very triple option offense sure. to what James Madison was doing with more of that spread passing game. So he's already shown you he can transition and James Madison put a lot on his shoulders. I mean, he was basically running the show. They had a in this SMU game of last minute, two minute drive, and he ran it and they pulled off the win on the road. So that goes to show you what kind of athlete he is, what kind of football player he is, and more importantly, what kind of quarterback he is.
0: Good, good stuff. I certainly, uh, I w- I would urge all of our listeners to uh, to check out Mark's pieces on him. He's been uh, doing a couple over the last week or so, and uh, definitely will help to give you a little bit more of a visual representation of what we're talking about here. Um, seeing as though we do have a couple minutes left in the show, time for a little bit of a, a uh, Twitter question.
1: Oh boy, what do we got? What do we got? Twitter
0: question of the day. This one today. I'm going to pull it up right now. Just have to get my uh, Twitter feed all set. This one comes from Ted Wynn. Ted Wynn? Inside the Pylon
1: Writer. Yeah. What's he got for us? How fast does Mark run the 40? How fast do I run the 40? Oh, boy. Um, Are we talking present day? Yeah, we're talking. We're talking like, uh, what are we talking here? No, today
0: I think we're probably talking so typical, you know, afternoon. Maybe a ham sandwich or two kind of sitting around in the stomach, after a little bit of film study, a little groggy, not necessarily the best conditions, maybe a little bit of uh, mist outside. I'm going to say flip-flops instead of uh, sneakers. What are we looking at?
1: Flip-flops instead of sneakers? Oh, man, I'm not, I'm not getting under five in that situation.
0: you getting under 5-5? Five, five?
1: Yeah, I could do that. I could get under the 5-5 five, with five <laughs> flip-flops, I
0: think. <laughs> we'll have to see about that one. We you I- you got to keep the flip-flops on.
1: I gotta keep them on. Yeah, I can't like dump no, them halfway through.
0: No, you can't run out of the flip-flops. Oh you gotta well, okay. you gotta
1: finish the way you start. Okay. Can can I pick the flip flops at least? Cause I've got like two pairs. I've got like the beach pair that's like basically just like you know those like almost they're like like woven wood bamboo like mats that you sometimes see people with on the beach?
0: Yeah. Yeah you know what I'm talking about yeah. I got a pair
1: of flip flops like that that I'm not running I probably wouldn't get under seven in. But I've got a nice like they're like formed and like almost fitted in are like almost like nike air flip-flops
0: oh yeah yeah i
1: could wear those i'd be good
0: yeah you would fly in those i bet yeah
1: i could probably rock maybe a four eight let's nah,
0: let's not let's let's, let's, let's not get too aggressive here all no. right
1: well did you see today they had all the um nfl network analysts running the 40 and heath evans still busted out a four eight did he really yeah he's still a big guy too he's, like, he's still a big guy like there's a look for it there's a picture of him on twitter he's got like sneakers on it, he's got what almost look like a pair of suit pants that are like cut off like shorts, and that's it. I'll tell he's, you, he's rocking it shirtless, and he's still built. He's a big guy. Well,
0: anytime I see him on there, I'm am sitting there, I'm like, I swear his shoulders are just gonna rip out of his suit. Like it, it looks like he's about to tear through the thing. But that's uh, they did they do uh, the forty as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, doing. did they do a uh, bench press?
1: No, I don't think they did <laughs> the bench, but um, he could probably how many. He could probably throw up 25. I I bet he could still throw up 20, yeah.
0: Yeah. 25's a lot. 25's a lot. Like, you figure, because he hasn't been playing in, what, five, six years now?
1: Yeah, but, I mean, he's still working out. I mean, I know you're not testing. You're not doing 225, you know? (laughs) Like, how much? I mean, he's probably not repping out at 225 every day in the gym, but. eh.
0: Maybe he is. Who knows? We'll have to, uh, maybe we'll tweet him tomorrow and see.
1: Yeah, let's do that.
0: We'll try it. We are, uh, we're done, though. Excellent. Nice.
1: emery great guest man
0: he's good man. so good he is good wrapped up for the day here on inside the pile on the podcast back at it tomorrow with a quick kicks podcast we have alex kazora coming on then talk a little bit about the steelers offseason and his expectations there until then enjoy the rest of your day we'll see you right back here tomorrow on inside the pile on the podcast